0: And we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is going to challenge the very concept of art, reality, and the world around us. I am sitting with famed artist Eames Demetrios. The geographer at large for chimeric sphere, a parallel universe of his own creation, which is which exists all around us and not around us at all. So he's going to explain what the heck I mean by that. I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that Eames is the grandson of Ray and Charles Eames, the superstar designers from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. They created tons of iconic furniture, architecture, films, uh, designers, artists, they did everything you could imagine, very popular. And I gotta imagine, Eames, that since you you come from this kind of artistic stock, you were raised in that kind of incubator, that atmosphere, that must have had some kind of effect on you uh, as it pertains to, to what you're doing today.
1: Um, I mean, I think that... Well, there are five grandchildren, and we're not all doing parallel universes.
0: Um, no, that's fair.
1: But at the same time, I think that for all of us, the experience of, of having Charles Ray's grandparents was very you know, uh, noticeably wonderful. Right. Um, they weren't... Speaking for myself... Um, I think my older siblings had a little more sense of this, but um, people, uh, people, but even, it, even though they knew people in the outside world knew who Charles and Ray were, um, if you told anybody in the, se- the 60s and 70s you could be famous as a rock star designer, they would right, yeah. in your face. So <laughs> we didn't have the experience of famous p- grandparents. We just had the experience right. of cool grandparents. Right. Now that very makes very sense. Very interesting. Yeah. So that sort of, it, that also, and does some of the connotations of, I mean, you just we just thought they were amazing people. We just didn't necessarily know a lot of other people might
0: think that. One. Indulge me for just a second, because as I was researching you, uh, I, because here's what's cool is I I didn't know much about the Eameses to be perfectly honest with you, mm-hmm. but they, there were a couple things that as I stumbled across, I realized it impacted me. Like there's a movie called The Powers of Ten, which you did an amazing TED Talk, and you kind of talk about this and some of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was an Eames. I didn't know that Ray and Charles Eames did that uh, because I watched it in school, and it it really profoundly (laughs) affected me. And then, you know, I just found out. I was like, oh, this is. I got to ask about this. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you were doing the the TED Talk about it, uh, it was kind of like a powerful little point in the TED Talk. Uh, Tell me like your take on this.
1: Yeah, the Powers of Ten uh, is a, is a very amazing film, and I th- I think what's um, r- one of the many things that's very cool about that film is that the um, is that it was made in a design office um, by design team. They didn't hire an outside hmm. team to do the special effects. They uh, it, the Eameses always always believed in um, that you never delegate understanding, so that way the learning happens in the office and can impact the design. And so in the case of, um, powers of 10, the, uh, I mean, I remember watching the second one get made. There are actually two versions or three actually, but, um, mm. and the, uh, finish, the final one is probably the one you know from school. It's the most widely seen yeah, on um, the color, the color version. Um, but it's really, what I, what I like about that film is that it, people always say it's a science film and it's certainly used in a lot of science classes, but it's, it's actually a film about scale uh-huh. And and that and, and the difference is important only because it's people starting say, oh well, they've gone further in and further out since that um, film was made and it's true. But the actual film itself would only be, you know, I think, 20 seconds right. longer on one end and 20 <laughs> seconds longer on the other end right yeah because yeah. it's really about the relative size of things yeah and my own theory is that um, scale is the new geography ah. and that if you don't understand scale it's a form of illiteracy today right and because so many
0: of our challenges and opportunities it's a scathing happen- scaling assessment don't you think yeah
1: <laughs> Well, I, th- I think that in fairness, um, our brains aren't set up for understanding exponential growth. Uh-huh. Um, the the astronomer Vera Rubin, who is quite an amazing uh, person, told me that she would often ask um, groups of kids um, how long it would take to count to a million. And they don't really know. So she tells them it's like six or seven days. And then she says, well, how long would it take to count to a billion and they always guess, you know, a few weeks or a few months. And the answer is like 20 years. Right. Yeah. And I believe even some of your listeners right now might not have. Inst- I mean, you can say to yourself, okay, 7,000 days is, is um, 20 years. But most people don't do that. It's not an in- 7,000 uh-huh. days is not an intuitive number unless you're very familiar with <laughs> the Siege of Leningrad. So it's, um, I think it's an, important, it's an important thing for people to have a kind of casual familiarity and fluency in scale.
0: Yeah. No, I I totally agree. I mean, genuinely. I mean, without hyperbole, that was a really cool movie. And it was just... Because they go... If you haven't seen it, I'll have a link on the the webpage. But they basically... Every... Ten, every ten seconds, the the field like, or it's every two seconds the field doubles. So you're slowly moving out from a, a couple sitting on a picnic bench, and you go all the way out to the edge of the universe, and you come all the way back into the corks and cells on his skin. It's just, it's amazing.
1: But Dan actually threw himself under the bus a little bit on scale. It actually I? goes ten times further every ten seconds, not ten times doubling every two
0: seconds. Oh, <laughs> it's <laughs> so. the illiteracy. I'm an illiterate scaler. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's yeah. fair.
1: Yeah. You're absolutely so. Well, you're alliterative scaler. <laughs> So the, uh, so anyway, in that, in that film, w- what happens is you add a zero. One way to think about it is you add a zero every 10 seconds.
0: Got it. Okay, that makes and sense. And again,
1: that's something that's not, you know, people talk about billions of dollars. I mean, you, people talk about stem cells, and however you feel about the research one way or another, the way stem cells are discussed, you would think they're the size of a dinner plate, and they're not. And so you can still come to the conclusion that a, a stem cell is a human being, and I don't want to get into that part. Sure. I just want everybody to focus on... Understanding the basics of where the conversation is starting because if one person thinks it's a, the size of a human that they would see, another person doesn't, it's very hard to reach common ground or even understand what the other person's saying.
0: Right. No, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I mean, it's uh, it, scale is very important, and you know, with with this particular i mean it's what was so crazy what kind of blew my mind when i watched it is that there's this there's this comparison um, between when you move out into the solar system and things revolve around the sun and everything, and then you go into, you know, the electrons rotating around a proton. Uh, I mean, it's a very parallel universe, you know, not to, to tease where we're going in a second, but, you know, it is kind of cool where one is just kind of around the other one and one exists within the other one. I mean, it's just, even as a little kid, I, I you know, this kind of like blew my mind.
1: And in fact, the you know, one of the challenges of science today is the... Um, How do you you stitch together the quantum world and the Newtonian world? Mm -hmm.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, No, that's very true. I mean, and, you know, I've talked about that several times. Like the quantum mechanics is just, I mean, it's as, it's almost like magic you know in a way because it's like alchemy you know we just I just talked about this in the last ep, uh, last episode where you know alchemy is as much magic as quantum mecha- mechanics is physics you know it's just it seems like there isn't a rhyme or reason behind it and it just happens
1: but it, but it's not exactly the same because people have tried to turn um, lead into gold and the results have been quite dismal. Mm-hmm. With quantum didn't mechanics, well. you can you can predict uh, you can predict results, and they happen, even though you don't really understand the mechanism, or the mechanism you understand seems very improbable.
0: Right. So there's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Know, there wasn't a one to one ratio, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, there's definitely a difference. But there's a magical element, Eames. Come yeah. on, give me that.
1: There's a totally magical element. I just, I just think sometimes when when we talk, uh, there's a lot. One of the things I think has undermined the role of science in society is that. There's such an emphasis on the discontinuities that we don't pay enough attention to its remarkable track record of predicting mm-hmm. and the fact that science has an incredible self-corrective capacity.
0: Hmm. Like, and, what, what, and what do you mean?
1: Well, if you, get it, if you don't get the same result, then you haven't figured out the theory. Oh, and I you see. Better, then you better account <laughs> for it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what happened to get to quantum mechanics is they couldn't predict things the way they thought they would, and they came up with these explanations. And whether they're the final ones... Is hard to say right but whatever the next theory is when well, we have to be as good at predicting the future uh, as the current one
0: right if not better or it wouldn't yeah. surplant it yes, yeah. yeah this has been bugging me Eames and I don't want to I don't want to get any sensitive subject here um, but two things from a named perspective that I, I need you to answer okay so your grandparents were Ray and Charles Eames how come your grandmother went by Ray
1: um, because her born name was Bernice Alexandra Kaiser And her brother gave her the nickname Ray Ray, and it kind of stuck, and she
0: was known as Ray. Okay, fair enough. And so their last name was Eames, and Mm -hmm. your first name is Eames. Right.
1: What's going on there? Uh, Eames was my mother's maiden name, so they gave it to me as a first name. Charles had one sister and one daughter, and under the patrilineal naming system, uh, (laughs) there weren't going to be any more last name Eameses, so they gave
0: it to me as a first name. Oh, that's really cool. So it's kind of like an honorary title in a way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's <was a> <laughs> really cool. Okay, that that makes sense. This was this was eaten at me. I was like, "How does this work?" There's got to be a system here. I'm sure there's an incredible answer, mm-hmm. um, and there was one. Uh, so, now you call yourself a geographer at large.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What does that mean? Uh, it means that I. Um Explore the
1: world of chimerics there and create the world of chimerics there, and am responsible for marking the
0: points where it makes contact with our world. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so what now? <laughs> well, you asked. No, 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 I know. So, because here's what's kind of funny, because we're going to have to kind of lift up the veil a little bit because there's this really cool fantasy world that you've created. And if I'm going to, let me let me dumb it down for people here. So essentially what you've done is you've created this fantastic world and then document where these, um, I wouldn't even call it a mythology, where these mythological events happen in our world, in the real world, um, and with like plaques and even interactive sites. And you are kind of like the creator of that in a way. You're God in a sense. Is that a little more accurate? Do you think well, do you see yourself as a godlike figure in this mythology you've created? No, I but I am the creator of it but not with a capital C. Okay. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So how would you so how would you describe Chimerics there? Um,
1: I would say that Chimerics there is a parallel universe that is um, largely um, uh, coexistent with our world but with different laws of physics, different um, sometimes different laws of physics, different creatures, different cultures and uh, and and the story and stories that happen within there. It's storytelling. I mean, if you really want to make it yeah. simple, it's storytelling. It's just i I use some tools that are kind of unusual, and I think that the big the big difference, I don't know if it's a big difference, but one difference is um, is that I, I was very interested in the idea of creating a world where the world came first and the story came second. Um, okay. And, and then I thought that that could potentially, as it unfolded, got richer and richer, could create some very beautiful aesthetic moments as people knew about other parts of the world when they discovered about... They would bring knowledge from other parts of the parallel universe when they encountered a story in a new place or where they read a book or they heard, my, um, my, mm-hmm. her, heard one of my talks. Mm-hmm. And they would bring a knowledge that was actually their own direct experience of having seen something in a, in, in a place. And I thought that that because if you think about it, like, you know, whether it's Star Wars or um, Pride and Prejudice, the um, that what usually happens is that. A main character goes through a world and that world is revealed to us by what they see, mm-hmm. which is highly egocentric because that's not how the world works. The wor- world doesn't come into existence just for us, it's it's there.
0: Right. We're not living in the Truman Show, is what you're exactly, saying. Exactly, right.
1: exactly. That much, I'll grant you.
0: Okay. <laughs> that's all you'll give me. Uh, so, okay, so that makes sense. And so then, as you, so like, for example, there's a, there's a really cool installation that you have in Joshua Tree, which kind of, it's the uh, Gin, uh, gin ranglikin or the mm-hmm. Kreblin. Kremlin,
1: the cabin's called the Kremlin Gin Cabin,
0: right? Okay, and it's about and the story behind it is about the Jing and how this, which kind of exists in California in a sense in this alternate universe, correct?
1: Right. It, it it it's um it, it exists in what we call
0: California. Okay, and uh, and what's what's amazing about this, and also, and I've said this numerous times, and I stand by it. This is an amazing installation. You can actually go. It's in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to have a video up. Uh, I went there and checked it out. It's, It's incredible. I mean, the detail behind this is just remarkable. Anyone can go there. Anyone can explore this, can enjoy it, can learn about the story, which is exactly what you're talking about. You go there, you learn a couple different things, and then it kind of, you wonder, well, what's next? What's the, what's the next part of the story? What, what happened before? What is this world of chimerics there? And it, it's really good at generating curiosity. Mm-hmm. The thing that I would say that, that I, 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 would, I would step away from if I was doing this is I wouldn't make it available to the public. I don't trust the public to not damage it, destroy it, take something, take souvenirs. Uh, does that ever enter into your mind?
1: Oh, I I, I do worry about it. Um, there are people in the, in the communities who um, who um, try to be sen- you know try to be aware of what's going on there. But in the end, um, you know that can always happen, and it doesn't make me happy when it does. And we try to fix it as quickly as we can. Um, and there, are, uh, but it's. It's uh, it's definitely a danger, uh, but at the same time, part of the um, experience is that you can you you should be able to come upon it. I mean, you should not. Um, I don't want people to have to pay to see these um, things. It's not that I you know we try to sell books and things like that, but the actual experience should be available to anyone. And there are a handful that are inside, which is rare for us. Um, but they all, mm-hmm. uh, somehow it just seemed right for that particular experience. And then these have, but all, all of those have ways one can see them quite easily or reliably, say.
0: Sure. Because there's one in Los Angeles. It's actually one I couldn't get to because it's in a building that's not open very often. And that's the one downtown. Yeah, in Chinatown. Yeah, you yeah. really
1: have to check their schedule. Yeah. I probably, <laughs> it's true. I, I love those guys because they were kind enough to let us do one of the very early ones. Uh-huh. So I'll always have a soft spot for it. And it's a great. It's a great place, yeah. But access is a little random. I
0: gotta, I gotta admit, it's very random. I've been working for like two months and I can't quite get myself in there to see it. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, I'll have snuck my way in. Um, but there's another. So some of these are interactive sites. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my personal favorite, and a lot of these are plaques which will tell you part of the story, which essentially are like pieces of a novel. It's like the page of a novel that's kind of plastered on a wall. Uh, there's one. So, so a couple of questions on that, just from like a. Uh, you know, a, a logistics standpoint. So, like, there's one in Meltdown in Los Angeles. It's on the back of what used to be Meltdown. It's on the building. Well, right. Meltdown's no longer there, um, and I assume they didn't own the building. So, who do you make the deals with? Is it the building owner? Or? It's
1: always with the building owner. And actually, I'm glad you brought that one up. In terms of being for uh, Angelinos, is that we um, we actually took that down because they're going to be tearing down that building. Oh and so, no! Wait, it's gone already. No, it's not gone. And we took we took down the the, um, the, the marker.
0: Um Ooh, got my picture in beforehand, luckily.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, I mean and it is and it, i mean what's interesting is the prod I've been doing this for fifteen years and so now these kinds of rhythms are are um happening. I don't do as many on buildings for this reason actually. Yeah. Um and um and the uh but in general but basically it's it's with the landowner and one does mm. need permission. I mean when people hear about this the the impulse is to think of it as almost being a graffiti-ish project, but it's um Hmm. it's not it's uh, it's the it's it's the opposite we need to get permission from the places where we where we install them
0: it's, so are you gonna put one up on the new building have you worked that out or is this stricken from the history of chimerics oh actually
1: uh, we did not let forces like this determine whether these things happen in chimerics there or not okay good um, so the stories um, still happening chimerics there on that spot the exciting news is that the people there want to Reinstall it, so that's, oh good. So it's um, it's in that sense, it's a happy ending. It's just that we'll all miss meltdown.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Because I went to the one in Culver City, the Culver mm-hmm. Grove, and mm-hmm. that one's actually been dug up, but it's still there. Right,
1: so, and it's actually, it's more accurately, it's kind of eroded away. The the it was uh, a little, so I, I got to talk to those guys about um, filling in around it.
0: But it does exist. You can yeah. go see it, and it's next to a big tree, which is kind of part of the story in a way. I don't know if that tree's part you of the know, story, but
1: it, you know, it's always tough to get the um, To get that exactly clear
0: okay is that on purpose
1: well it could could be a fragment of the um, of the uh, Culver (laughs) Glade but you know we did it a while ago so
0: no that's fair (laughs) enough so how did this idea come to you and and what is the process of of making this world a reality two huge questions can you answer it in 40 minutes
1: (laughs) exactly the how this came about is that I've I've always liked telling stories and I've written stories and um, and I kept thinking, as you know, a, a while ago, a long while ago, that wouldn't it be cool if you could visit a fictional story, w- w- mm-hmm. to have that experience. And um, and I think that, uh, and I kept thinking about like how would that work. And like one obvious answer is that you um, you create something and then you swear people to silence and uh, whatever, but. That as a mechanism is not really that um, that great, and mm-hmm. it also kind of it. I also didn't want to create something where there were um, people who were in and out. In other words, like you know, were, I say to you, okay, Dan, I like glad you like the talk, but please don't tell anyone about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that that it's that it's a story, because that's um, like I say, creates one more thing where where are, you know, in people and out people, which mm-hmm. is not really necessary. We have plenty of those. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is that it's. Um, that it's, it spends a lot of baggage on the wrong thing, which is whether or not you think it's real when actually we suspend disbelief all the time, whether in movies and books and stuff like that. And so I thought, why don't we just give up on that part? And you know, if if you want to tell people it's part of chimerics, it's great. Other people just take their friends there and let them experience it on their own for a while. Mm-hmm. And other people say, this weird guy did this. And all these things are completely fine because you know, you know, when you pick up a book, you go down the path of the book, and right? You start, and you start to read it, and so I kind of, so I did kind of think of it as a, a novel with every page in a different place. And so I um, did my first one in Athens, uh, Athens, Georgia, and um, I didn't want to do the first one in L.A. because that's where I'm, where where I live. So
0: I wanted it to be the polar a, opposite of L.A., which is Guy Meers here's the polar opposite of our world.
1: Well, mostly just I wanted it to be not here because I knew that it would always be easier to do things around here. Yeah. And, um, but it was just really kind of this, this feeling that this would be a great way to tell, tell a story. And it also, um, it also allowed me to explore a lot of different things, you know, and I had made movies and I still make movies, um, sometimes documentaries, some fiction. Um, but I found this to be a much more satisfying, um, have found this to be a much more satisfying medium. Um, And I like the fact that it helps people look at their own world fresh. So even if you're Mm -hmm. from, it's not really, it's even though there is a cultural tourism aspect to it, Mm -hmm. there's another part that's very locally facing. um, That's, that's also important. And I just, you know, it's become richer and richer and the experience of doing it becomes better and better. And now um, now the stories have their own momentum, which is quite, quite great. Oh, that's um, cool. Because then, you know, for example, in uh, Armenia, there's an installation called Crystals of Refrain, which is part of the story of Ili Alamey Ning, who is a singer. His voice is too beautiful to be hidden. And then she witnessed a murder, and um, every time she tried to hide, eventually, she and the bad guys came after her, and every time she tried to hide, um eventually she would have to sing and the moment she sang everybody knew who, um where she was and they she got chased all around the world. So we did an installation in Armenia, which is right towards the end of an important phase of her life. And we carved on about 30 stones um all the places that she went. But we haven't installed all those yet. So in a way I have to stay true to what's carved there. Um and so like, so then I'm looking for places that'll be the perfect place to tell that a part of her story from, you know, from the, the, you know, whatever number place she went to. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, and it's kind of, it, so, but that's what I mean by the stories have their own momentum. Her
0: story is out there. I just need to figure parts of it out. Right. And and just so one of the other cool things about the stories, and this was like kind of the mystery for me, because in some ways it's like a scavenger hunt. It actually would have been kind of cool. It'd be really difficult for you to do it now. Uh, but if you do do it, you heard it here first. But in order to put like, you know, for the next part of the story, go visit. Because these are all over the world, you know, mm-hmm. so like we're, we're um, uh, I forget her name, but uh, she so she's traveling all over outrunning these bad guys. But the
1: Yeah,
0: Ileana Manning. Yep. Did I say that? Nailed it, didn't I?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, but, and the installations where she hides are all over the world as well. So, and, and they're in a certain numerical order, which is, I believe, uh, is the, it's, so in the books, in the, in the, um, the Chimerics, their book that you, that you um, put out, it has a list of all the spots that she went to, and they're all numbered, but they're all, the numbers aren't sequential in a way. And I wanna see if I crack the code. Is the next number of the place she hid by adding the previous number? So it's like one, two, three, 3, 5, 8, uh, 13, Is that right?
1: You're you're quite close, but and that actually has a name, which is the Fibonacci
0: series. Yes, I was just getting to that. Oh you, man! You, you, no, you, I was gonna say, is that the Fibonacci sequence? And then look it, what you did there. Now I made me look like an idiot. I was almost the analytical mastermind, which is what they call me. <laughs> you stepped on my toes, James. But you know, I this, wasn't, this interview's over.
1: Well, I, I wasn't sure because because you didn't say one, one, two. Because you have to have the
0: two oh, ones. Oh, so right, right. was sure you. So
1: each number is the product of the two before it. Right, okay. But you can tell people what that makes.
0: Yes, what what do you mean what does it make? Oh, what is that? Oh, a spiral, yes. Like like a nautilus shell, or like a, which is really cool, um, beautiful mathematics in nature um, use of the Fibonacci you sequence. You are an analytical master. I'm really good, Eames. Uh, when teed up properly. Um, <laughs> so w- w- what I noticed while going through a lot of these stories is that there's this kind of cool language that you've... Well, there's tons of languages you've created, but there's a weird mathematical trend that kind of exists in a lot of the different... Um, stories and and sequences like for example there's the nation g n a c i n is that my saying that properly Nasian. Nasian. there's lots of words in here first of all some of these words sound like the ravings of a lunatic or some kind of Lovecraftian um, uh, creature uh, but but so there's like like a creature like that that has seven legs the prime ones are deadly and the
1: no, the prime ones are very nutritious.
0: The prime ones are nutritious, and the non. <laughs> You're a goner. And the whole I have ever written down here, Um yeah. But but my point is, hold on, Ian. My point of the story is: there's a lot of it's almost like learning math and science and all this stuff in a very fun way, kind of the ways that the myths did in the days of yore. Would you agree? Was that on
1: purpose? It w- it wasn't on purpose, but it's definitely a nice bonus. I mean, I, I think that I've always tried to stay in a pure place in terms of how. Um, how the stories are created and what and when you do that then patterns um, unfold and one of some of those patterns are definitely mathematical
0: well lots of because there's because in one of the uh, one of the cultures uses a base 9 system i think it's a jing because the compass has nine points on it uh, which is hold on let me see if i can get this it's uh, there isn't a north it's south southwest west southwest south, and like east southeast and southeast yeah, is that much, right? Is yeah, that yeah. close? Okay, uh, so there's nine points which represent like a trinity of trinities, essentially. But that base nine system—that's a mathematical equation that you've kind of developed and incorporated into a, you know, a culture that you created. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's lots of that going on. I know. I there's, noticed that. Yeah. There's Left and right brain connection is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. There, I mean, there's uh, there's a language called uh, there's a group of languages called one fifty eights where n- words are numbers and numbers are words. Yeah. And um, it's kind of cool because the accountants have to write a novel to do a simple equation, but poets <laughs> just uh, do the math. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, but it's, what's also neat is that the people who, who grow up in that culture are incredibly attuned to the world. And they, um, like, if they walk into this room, they would count, they would know, not even count consciously, they would instantly know the number of books, the number of people, the number of boards, the number of grooves in the ceiling all these different things and then those numbers would have meaning so so like the the, the number 60 means fish um but it's not just like you're writing the 60 if they see 60 chairs in a room they think it's a mess they, i mean it's the it is the word fish so they actually have can have amazing poetic moments because they'll go down beaches where all these different colored and shaped rocks and they're doing all these counts and they're creating this kind of story in their minds from that
0: Right. That sounds like, I mean, you really shift people's perspectives when you start, um, when you explain like that, because another thing that you talk about, which I thought was just such an interesting comparison, is you talk about cultures that are biologically aquatic. And also culturally aqu- aquatic, right. which you would think through the same things. But like like a like a mermaid, for example, would be both because they live underwater, but they also have to live underwater. Unless we're talking about Splash, the movie Splash uh, with Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah, that masterpiece of cinematic uh, achievement. She comes out of the water, so she would be culturally aquatic.
1: In that case, exactly in that case right. be cool. um, I mean, I, there's there's no question that um, that 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 peoples that are, uh, that are biologically aquatic are also culturally aquatic. The reason why the distinction is important, though, is be- because people that are culturally aquatic have to breathe air from our atmosphere,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and peoples that are biologically aquatic live in areas where the oxygen vents are so intense on the bottom of the ocean or the river or the pond that they can, um, they can just uh, breathe the water itself. But as we all know from being kids, it's very hard to um, talk underwater in the swimming pool. Right. And um, very few... Which is why
0: you splash like a lunatic when you're drowning, because you can't it, it, yell.
1: There's that. Yeah. And it's also it's also why there's no productions of Shakespeare underwater. <laughs> Fair so, enough. So what these people had to do is to learn how to psychoform, which means to create shapes that have word meaning. But the interesting thing about it is that people say, well, you know, well, writing is obviously that, and that's true. But what's interesting about these shapes is that even though... They're physicalized. They're actually a spoken language. Well,
0: and and what's so so if that didn't blow your mind enough. What, what's actually crazy is that in the book you actually have put together an entire like I think it's a poem or I think it's the the story that's in shapes that you've you've had as an installation, uh, someplace. So it's it's like actually it's one big shape, but then on in the book you break down what each shape means, yeah. uh, which is. Uh, the point. What? Why am I telling? Why am I asking this? Because how, in this world or another, how do you keep all this stuff straight in your head to tell the story? Are you just a genius, or you just operate at a different level? Is that how you can say it, it's okay?
1: I, I, it's just something that I find um, natural and rewarding to do.
0: So you can keep it straight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there there are times I you know look things. You up. confuse yourself, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's more. I mean, it's one of the reasons I like telling the stories because it, yeah. it, it keeps it um, keeps it fresh. Yeah. And the, uh, um, and the you know some of the more um, obscure shape words definitely need to be cut. Ke- um, uh, it's a language called Neovate. and that particular installation is going to be awesome because we're going to do that. Um, uh, if, um, if anybody's listening, um, it's all ready to go on the moon. Um, and it could be done by um, uh, two uh, astronauts working twelve extra, vehi- extra um, you know lunar surface hours um, each, and they ought to be able to do it with two rakes, a meter wide. So we're ready to go. How?
0: how okay. So this this is a whole another set of questions because. First of all, before I say that, I do want to mention that the really cool thing about this, and we're going to come back to this because it's important, but that you have 134 sites over 27 countries. And in the book, at least at the time that I was reading it, there were six others that you had planned, six and a half, because the half was the one on the moon. Right, exactly. Okay, so I just want to make sure that that's accurate, because that's mind-blowing. But it's going to lead into what I'm going to ask next, and I'm glad you teed it up with a moon installation. How in the world... Because you're not asking for any money for these, you're not asking for any uh, donations. You're not keeping the riff out by charging an entry fee. Which again, I want to I want to advise you. I think it's a much better idea personally. But you know, you have your opinion. We'll agree to disagree on that. But how is this stuff funded? I mean, who's 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 putting this stuff on the moon? That's not cheap, man. Well, we haven't put it on the moon yet, so that's uh, that's a. That's a big <laughs> oh, is that what, am I about that to you up for sales pitch? Is that what's
1: going on? <laughs> exactly. Please, Mr. Bezos. Um, so. There's that, he um, is a but basically, um, some communities um, have, have invited me to do it and have raised raised the money for it. Um, we've done a lot of crowdfunding. Um, mm. The books we sell um, fund all this, and I also do a lot of um, speaking on the topic, including um, sort of. Uh, uh, workshops um that that sometimes uh companies use to um teach thinking out of the box exercises and um, team building and, mm. and stuff like that so it's pretty hand-to-mouth i mean if you notice in the um in you know uh, you wouldn't uh, go out of your way to notice this but as it happens you know there's some years we only do a few mm. and then there's some years where we've done up to i like did go out now. of
0: my way to notice that as yeah. a matter of fact um so that's that's all based on funding
1: yeah. And it's and but we've been you know, there's some commu- like I said, some communities have um, have asked us to um, do a marker there. And, and that's happening more and more and that. Um, yeah, we're, we just uh, which is great. And because I I do think that um, with something like this, you have to be willing to do it as much as you possibly can um, yourself to your limits. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, are the limits were 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 tight. Um, but you, if you don't show people what it might be, mm-hmm. then you can't expect them to, to see what you're asking them to be part of. Right. And um, yesterday we did a, I did a talk at the uh, uh, Architecture and Design Museum and met some great people who've been to the Kreblingen Cabin many times, and it's just fantastic to, yeah. um, to have that. And, and the, um, you know, I will, if, if people are interested, one way to help the project is to get the books, particularly, and um, we've, done some, we've also done some work with um, a collective in Namibia where we did some embroideries yeah. uh, with them where I told the stories and they embroidered it. Each, each artisan embroidered it the way their vision of it. Yeah. And those turned out great and those really helped the project and helped that, um, that uh, collective, which is called Panduka. Oh, in Binduk, new Newbury.
0: There's, I mean, there's great pictures in the book, um, and and the book is um, affordable. Is not the first thing that would come no, to I mind when I, say, when I say that at all. But if that's how you're funding this, it makes perfect sense. I can see that.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an artist book. It's a limited edition. Has a beautiful um, handmade batik cover. Um, at some point, I'm hoping the next couple of years there'll be a novel oh, a that. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Not of the whole thing, but of one thread, and I think that that will be um, an important. An important moment for the project because yeah. I think it will it will give people a lot of story in one place, you might say, yeah, and help people see those connections. So, but I really wanted to not do that until there was um, um, there were enough out in the world that people had a reasonable chance of um, stumbling upon them. We still have major gaps geographically, I and mean, mm-hmm. I think I'm um, I, I would say I'm just like. Twenty fifteen or twenty percent of the way through what we have to do. So I got to pick up the pace, because um, well, my dream had not been to not do a uh, novel until um, everybody in or most people in the world were a day's drive from a site. Yeah, I read that in the thing, and I was yeah. like, I think we're, we might. Yeah, we're not quite there yet. We're not. No, we're not at all. <laughs> no. Not at all. Um, so that's. But that that's that's the target. But I think one of the ways to realize that is to is to. Um, um, make the stories more accessible
0: yeah well, it makes perfect sense I mean it, what's funny is that what I did because there's actually two books there's a binder that has your know, beautiful pictures so if you can't actually go to these things it's kind of the next best thing uh, because not only do you see what was written there and it gives you the story but it's got great pictures of where the markers are the the world around it because as you mentioned it's as important to see the the world that's there the real you know our mm-hmm. world uh, because these are in some really cool places as well as learning about this fictional world you got Australia covered. I was like kind of blown away because there's a, there's a lot of markers in Australia, mm-hmm. which is fine, but how come it's so far away? Well, I, I think the map is. I didn't want the map of the parallel
1: world to be the map of proximity to my world. Okay. So therefore, it was, it's been important to to get some on to be sure that some on each continent. Sure. To be um, and to be sure that that. The, the density doesn't just happen in um, in in the U.S. or just in yeah. English-speaking countries. We're doing right. a lot in... Um, there are quite a few in Spain. Um, Definitely, There's yeah. quite a few in uh, in Indonesia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we're about 10 or 11 there, including one underwater that's uh, turned out pretty well.
0: Yeah, I was just going to mention that one. That one's incredible. Um, it didn't... Because I think it uh, collapsed the first time. Yeah. For under Yeah. You're from a design family. What happened there?
1: <laughs> well, we actually did... We it, it, so
0: the, we had a stack of um,
1: of these uh, story uh, forms, and actually we were we iterated. So we, we did do the de- the design thing in the sense that we it was always intended to have about five or six of those installations, mm-hmm. but we decided to just do one first to see what would actually happen over a real <laughs> um, December, yeah, because the the currents the the um, the winter storms in that area. Are actually I mean they can be severe, but even more they change the, the way the currents operate. Mm-hmm. Um, the, mm-hmm. So the, the waves are are and so we thought we might be deep enough for that, um, but we weren't so um, so we, <laughs> that's, we, learned, we learned that and uh, we're really glad we didn't put up, put up all six. Uh, yeah, that's stacks. a
0: good call. But that's such a great idea. but it kind of because you, you would have to scuba dive to go see it, right? ish or you, it, it, snorkel this
1: is, you you have to at least snorkel um and uh and people people do and then you could kind of kick your
0: way down and it,
1: it would take a few kicks down down yeah. to um to read it the so snorkeling is a little bit i mean scuba diving is a little bit better if you want to read it in a leisurely way
0: yeah because that could be deadly i mean has anyone died in our world exploring the world of chimerics there
1: no, it, people, you know, travel at their own risk. Okay. And, oh, uh, so you're
0: just washing your hands of whatever liability.
1: Well, I mean, sc- scuba diving is something that's inherently dangerous, and uh-huh. so, um, and so we actually, on the land side of it, we have, it, it's it, so you just have to, you people who scuba dive have to get trained and things like that, and that's right. why the snorkeling option is good for folks like that. And then the other thing is that on the land in that spot, um, there's a marker that doesn't recap. But it covers some of the same mm, ground, mm. and again, that's part of the the experience you have when you go when you travel is that, um, is that you know like if you were there and you said, well, I don't really want to go scuba diving. I, it's claustrophobic. I mean, mm. scuba diving can feel very claustrophobic. Definitely. So then the folks there would, would tell you about what's, what, what's there underwater, and they'd, we've also given a um, we've also were one of the goals of this particular book project is to give a copy to each community, mm. uh, translate it into uh, each la- the language of each of the communities um, so that people could read it in their,
0: read the stories around the world in their native tongue. Well, and and that, that begs another interesting question, although I want to ask one other thing, but hold on to that thought because I've got a really important question that must be answered, Eames. So when we're talking about some of these hard-to-reach sites like the one on the moon— I mean, it is awesome that if you can get this thing put on the moon. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of... There's cool cred involved there.
1: But who's going to go visit it? I think that... Let's put it this way. I don't need to climb Mount Everest to be glad it's there. I don't need to visit the arctic national wildlife refuge to want it to be protected but
0: that's part of why you're doing this is so people can experience the story huh. you said so too you want to roll the tape beams you said it earlier in the in the conversation how can people go to the moon or do you just are you doing it for the future when it becomes a little more routine to end up on the moon well future like, thinking I'm trying to frame this for you
1: yeah it's, it's definitely more future thinking in the sense that i think that Rightly or wrongly, doing chimerics there on the moon will not be the priority of the, the next lunar visitors, <laughs> and so therefore, a world where chimerics there can be installed on the moon is a world that might actually have visitors in some sort of way. But the reality is that yeah. it's not going to be for it's not going to be cheap to go there. So yeah, it's um, but that's why it's important in all seriousness for, for, to me, that I don't feel like this project will really be done until most people on the planet are within a day's drive of a site. And I don't have any illusions that everybody's going to want to go. It's not about that at all. It just means that if you're, if you're um, a kid in Rio and you have to come to Joshua Tree to, um, uh, you know, and you don't have the resources, and you have to come to Joshua Tree to have the full Slayer experience, then you're you're kind of left out. But if, on the other hand, you can have a rich there experience um, within a day's drive, which would probably take a couple years. Savings to take a bus trip and then a bus trip back. Mm -hmm. Then, when you go look at one laptop per child or go to the library in your school that has a copy of the book, you now humans are so good at context. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we have the ability to do a quantum leap from zero to one, you know, zero to, uh, you know, a gazillion um, when we have a little bit of information. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we do too much with a little information, but Mm -hmm. the, um, but the, So the idea is that if if that kid sees that installation, when they see the other ones online or they see the other ones in a book, they bring to it this experience that that the real-worldness of it is is different. Because nobody's going to see all of these,
0: I doubt. I think some people will, especially with the book that you have. I mean, it's really cool to see that these things really exist out there. And I imagine... I mean, look, there's a woman who got movie pass and watched a movie every single day. There's obsessed people out there is my point, Eames. And my guess is because there's so much thought that's gone into this, there are people, um, you know, they might be breaking the bank. You might be causing someone to have bankruptcy. I don't know if that's – I don't want to pin that on you. I'm just saying it's a possibility. People love this stuff. They can go see them all.
1: Well, it's tr- they, they can. And I, and I think that I, – I guess the other thing I'm saying is that, is that you can have a very beautiful experience even if you just get to one. I didn't. I didn't want to make something where the only way to feel like you had to, that that you had to do see all of them to succeed. I wanted to do one where because even when you see one, it changes how you look at the world a little bit. Because one of the things about it is that um, you know, um, reading is a very strange activity, and, hmm. and most people, and this is very, 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 very cross-cultural like 95% of the people in the world when they read something they see it. And mm-hmm. some people visualize it really intensely, mm. but when when you read something like if you if I write down horses on the beach, mm-hmm. you see horses on the beach. Most people you run into on the street will see horses on the beach, but you all see different horses mm-hmm. in different beaches. Right. But you'll you'll all see it. So that's kind of the beauty of it is that you, that same feeling that you have when you argue with a friend about the movie version of a book, one of you can say, Oh, it was so good. I mean, that was mm-hmm. exactly the way I saw that character. And then I was like, Are you kidding? Right. You know, that was terrible. I, I, I don't even <laughs> want to read the book now. Right. And so, but that power to visualize in ourselves um, is kind of what we're harnessing here. And so that that's the, that's the, that's part of the magic moment. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that even if you only see one and you only, have the resources to see one or you see the one near you, you get that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that's and then some people will say, Oh my God, I got to have more of these moments. And other people will say, I can't have more of these moments, whatever. (laughs) But the, but the point is, is that that's, that's the transport Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: part of the, the, um, and it's part and that transport can only happen in that physical place. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so one of the other things that even though this is a parallel universe that's, that's being created, it actually is in I, I think most people would teleport if they could. Oh, definitely. Yeah, because I you could you teleport, could, yeah. Skip traffic, you know, go straight to see all these, uh, to, you know, to the moon. Right. Or even not even the moon. but... Finally d- see
0: a Chemiric Theory installation on the moon, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> that, and i actually you ring the rake so you can do it. Um, <laughs> but, the, uh, but the thing is that what we're saying when we all acknowledge that, because every time I say that, something like that to people, we're like, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Um, what we're saying to ourselves is that the world is in the way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you think about so much of the energy of Silicon Valley, of all the tech movement and all these things, is to, is to, um, it's kind of an annoyance with the physical world.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, and, and I think my problem with that is that why are we going to save the world if we think it's in the way?
0: Right. We have to. We live on it.
1: Well, but we, That's
0: we, the only reason why people try to save the world outside of people who are really into nature, like guys like me. Like right. I think we should save the planet because we are a part of it. It's I, not separate I, exactly. from
1: us. But a lot of a lot of rhetoric. I mean, if you think about, you know, oh, we'll do virtual reality. We'll we'll conquer reality. We'll do the 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 fact is. So what what this project is in a small way is is um, something that you can only have your the richest experience if you see it in person, which mm. is why I need to get it in enough places that so that's accessible to everyone.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I, to, I totally agree with you. Um, and, and on that topic, I, I think, you know, I want to go back to what we said where you have, you know, a, a book in every local language that you've installed, uh, you put in installation We're, we're working on
1: it. We're doing the translation now.
0: There are so many strange words in this. I don't know how the translation process happens. Here's one, for example. Uh, and... I swear you're not going. Admit, you're not going to admit this, but I'm going to call you out on it. I feel like you just leaned on the keyboard for some of these things, and then like that was the word. Here's one of those. Uh, it's D F N J K B, and it's pronounced like wind going across an open bottle. So I imagine like you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Do you know what that means?
1: Um, it refers to the um, uh, the. The the uh, mineral that went harvest from the inside of a bitter brain.
0: Right. Yes. You <laughs> you passed your own test. Uh, now that was an interesting story in and of itself, um, but uh, which we may may have time to because I think that's actually probably one of my favorite stories. But w- where do you come up with these 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 crazy words? How did you come up with that word? And if it's leaning on the keyboard, you have to admit it. And then how do you translate that into another language?
1: Fortunately, I don't have to do the last part right. <laughs> all right fair enough but um but and and actually, in most it, there's a whole convention like it's you don't translate je ne sais quoi, you write right. it in italics, so there's a whole thread of dealing with words like that, even in our own ecosystem,
0: yeah.
1: linguistic ecosystem, which is that you just don't translate it, you put it there, and then you put in parentheses, in other words, because you're trying to convey the flavor.
0: Like, the idiom that we're using. But those are, like, for specific... Like, you're going to say qua is a very simple, you know... But you could translate that, and it would mean kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, you know, I don't know... Yeah, well, uh, yeah. But we don't, is but, what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I don't have a bottle, so I can't say that word, but...
0: The <laughs> <laughs> word. Right, um, yeah.
1: But I think, you know, so part of it is t- uh, I'm trying to challenge what... Um, trying to challenge what we think of as... Um, language I guess I feel like there are a lot of assumptions packed into a lot of things that we do mm-hmm. and uh, and the project allows you to to um, unpack a few of those assumptions I did not create that um, just by leaning on the keyboard
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I but I was trying to put together letters that did not um, that that we would not normally the thing is if you try to do things that are the opposite of, uh, only do things that, that are the opposite of what you do then then that's just as informed by what you do as the things that are informed by what you do. Right. Because it's just the negative space around the things
0: that you do. Yeah. I actually followed you on that one. There you go. Yeah.
1: So therefore there are times that I have um, just typed out different keys um, or I've written, done done some um, sort of freehand writing or try to look for um, um, acronyms. But even there you have to be careful because the acronyms, you know, they're higher, they're, they're, um, their rates of use of all letters in every language. So, therefore, that's also an artifact of it. So, basically, that's actually where a lot of the idea of going for the shape languages is re- recognizing the limitations of our of working within our um, alphabets. Yeah. So, therefore, we're actually working on a font for chimerics there, which will include the, the chimeric seal numbers and some of the. And um, the
0: Nevletling, the Nelvet. Nelvet. Nelv- 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 nelv-
1: tricky because each shape is actually more of a word. Than a um, just a character, so, we'll so it's have not like,
0: like not like an Asian language because like some of the languages in in the East have mm-hmm. characters that represent words and phrases. So exactly. It's kind of.
1: Well, that's the thing that and I I was alluding that earlier when I was saying that that is absolutely a fair um, a fair comment. Yeah. There is a there is a repeatable form of construction, particularly for kanji. Yeah. Um, which is not the case of Nielve, um uh-huh. words. And the other thing you gotta remember about neilbate words, of course, is that they're they're in at least six to twelve dimensions, so right. there's that. Of course, but the course. Um, but the the other but but most importantly is that what I find interesting about Niilvate is that it's a, essentially a spoken language because those words are generated dynamically by speakers. So different accents, the freshwater accents are a little tricky. <laughs>
0: right, of course. I would imagine saltwater because like your mouth kind of purses up a little bit, but that may be the natural form because yeah. 70% of the world is, you know, salt water. Exactly.
1: People, you know, more time for evolution to deal with that.
0: Right, exactly. You know, there was a, a oh, the name of the movie escapes me, and I know everyone listening is going to be annoyed with me, but there was a movie that just came out recently where these people, they, they encounter this alien species, and the alien species, they basically blow smoke into shapes. Arrival. Oh, there you go. Thank you very much. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's kind of similar. Uh, in in that they've created this language, and then the linguist the, the linguists here have to kind of decipher mm-hmm. what they're saying, and then then they can communicate. A lot of the stuff, and that's what's kind of cool about the book is that it it translates it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, did you create the entire? I can't imagine you can't create the entire shape language. I mean,
1: oh no, I'm still working on
0: it. Yeah, I mean, how many characters are going to have? I mean, I think but Chinese no, no, has not, three thousand.
1: Yeah, it's it's um it's also very difficult to alphabetize.
0: Uh, so, yeah, How so, do you categorize it? So
1: uh, I'm still working on that one. Okay, We're, I'm trying to look in the uh, in the archives.
0: All right, that's a fair enough answer. And how come you didn't go with like onomatopoeia? So for like the the word, it's not it's you know it's not like you know like o o o h o o h or anything like that with like an umlaut over one of them.
1: Yeah, because that's not how that language works.
0: Right. Of course. Well, I know, duh. But, <laughs> but <I want> <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, and you, so you never leaned on the keyboard. I just wanted. You've never leaned on the keyboard for a word.
1: Never leaned on the keyboard. I, actually, I probably have. I'm sure I have.
0: Okay. But I don't. I don't know. That Thank you for coming th- clean. Does it feel but, better to get that off your conscience?
1: No, because I don't think those words made the cut.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a kind of a recurring theme of the number twenty-nine. Mm-hmm. And also one of the things, because uh, the chimerics theory, uh, I believe, if I'm getting the name chimerics there is is chimera, which means the physical universe, and x which is infinity minus twenty nine. Yeah, am it's I close? A, pretty close. Yeah, the chimera, uh, chi, um, a chimera
1: um, is um, chimera is a word that means the true physicality of the planet. Right. Okay. And um, and the. Uh, and then um, an exterior is a shape with almost an infinity of dimensions or or sides, infinity minus twenty nine. Right. Exactly.
0: So I see twenty nine appears a lot uh, in in the book. I've, I think I've noted like five times. But also, and this was always this always troubled me as a kid because people would say like I hate you times infinity or whatever. Infinity is a concept. It's not a number. So how can something be a concept minus twenty nine? That I just way. nail you? No, that's, the way, that's the way they roll. <laughs> I guess if you make up if you make up the world, you can kind of make up your own answers and rules. So that's it, fair. I mean,
1: it's, I mean, I think what's interesting about it is that even hearing the idea of infinity minus twenty nine puts you in a place to imagine that, and because it's and I mean, in our world, it's definitely impossible.
0: Yeah, well, right, because you infinity is the absence of an end of the numbers, and if you're subtracting twenty nine, you have to subtract it from the end, but the end doesn't exist. There you go. I mean it, that could send you down a hole. It could mental spiral, man. That could <laughs> it could take you down. Yeah, it really, it really could could unhinge you mentally. Uh, so let's finish up because one of the cool things you gave me a, a stack of cards for the Museum of the Bench. I kind of like this story. I like the cards. I posted one of them. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Museum of the Bench in closing. here.
1: Um it's a four hundred and thirty thousand acre facility just outside what we call Abilene, Texas, mm-hmm. dedicated to displaying benches in their natural habitat right and it was started by this guy parkley toff and he um he loved benches. He believed that when you collected benches, you collected piece, and so he got in this habit of collecting these benches, and what he did when he saw a bench he would he would make a diorama that re- showed the bench exactly where he fir- in the way he first saw it. He would take the making a perfect replica, just incredibly perfect replica of the bench that he saw, and put it back where he found it, but keep the original for himself in these dioramas. Mm. And these dioramas were sometimes huge because there were some that, like he saw, you know, by the ocean, and have to build the ocean in the background of, uh, of, of of the bench. So then he started running out of room, and so he developed a concept called physical lenticularity, which allowed him to stack a whole bunch more. Um, dioramas in there, and it's quite incredible.
0: <laughs> it is incredible. I loved seeing all the different pictures of the bench. So, if we're going to peel back the layer, let's look behind the curtain for a little bit. Is there an actual museum of the bench? Are you building it? Are there going to be a place where you can go in and see a bunch of benches?
1: Well, the, well, we so far we just have um, we, we've done an installation at the site of the um, of the first visitor center. And that's right. there's not really that much remaining from it, but you can see the way the um, the the trees are um, there. There's still kind of a hole there because you know the, they chopped down the trees to put the um, the visitor center there. So you can visit that. And that's in Abilene, Texas. It's um, uh, it's on sort of the um, east side of town. Sorry, the west side of town. And
0: it's uh, it's quite cool. You it's about it the southeast south part of town, or the north northwest north. See,
1: you know one one thing that people don't always get is that there are many different cultures in Chimarrixus. So right. that's a ginranglian, a very gin-ranglican worldview you're, you're projecting I, onto the Museum of the Bench. I
0: think I think the the Kriblin Gin Cabin really affected me, and I've kind of and it also took place in California. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I'm a convert, but I'm I'm close. It, yeah. that's where my worldview is coming from. I, I respect that. Thank you. Uh, do you have time to stick around and talk about some of the animals and creatures that we can find in sure. Chimeric's there? Okay. So let, let's talk about that. But in closing here, um, how can people get your book? How can people see this stuff? How can they experience it? How can they get in touch with you? This is your time.
1: So um, if you would like to get the book, it's on com, And uh, you should trust the spelling on the... Uh, on, on the website for fascinating nouns.
0: Yeah, um, I will make sure that it's correct. Don't worry. With, yeah, with
1: links to all this stuff. But um, but that that's the base. I mean, there's a bookstore in LA called Arcana that has it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then the A plus D Museum in uh, downtown LA uh, ha- will have a copy. And but it's an artist book, and so those are you know there's not don't show up in Barnes and Noble qu- um, quite that easily. But if you want to find out where there's one that's near you, um, we're working on. We have a we, sorry, we have a Chimeric's their website, um, and it has a Google map of all the sites mm-hmm. of all of all the sites so far, and that's actually the best feature of the website right now, to be honest. But we're working on a, a much more detailed one. But that that Google map is very helpful, and you can um, find one near you, and it'll give you. Um, uh, well, I guess I won't give you directions, but there's a Google map on each of those pa- pages so you can figure it out, and it tells you where it is. I think there's GPS and, coordinates. I yeah, there's GPS. Co- yeah. You're right. The GPS coordinates. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, see, yes. I knew I'd done I'm something. helping I, you out there. Yeah. I knew I'd, I had done something helpful. <laughs> see, and, yeah, I uh, do do
0: this. that research.
1: <laughs> and then we have a Facebook page, um, which is where probably right now where the best information is on um, events that, mm-hmm. that happen from time to time. Um, but what would be really great if people, Insta- if they do visit a site to Instagram mm. uh, and in, and hashtag it with Chimerics there, because it's 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 actually proven to be a great way to kind of see mm. how the the sites are doing, yeah, and uh, and share it with people. And I really hope people go visit them, that, and that's that's step one. And I we really really hope you um, be, people get the book, but we know that it's um, that it's pricey, and so you may not be able to do it. Um, our goal though is that, like I said, is to um, eventually have one in each of the communities where we have a marker and then ultimately we'd be able to put that information online so you'd be mm. able to see, um, to see one in a library for yourself.
0: That's incredible. And I'll have links to Instagram, Facebook. I think there's even a Twitter account. And I'll have the spelling of the name, Trust My Site. Don't trust your own working through the name because it's 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 something. Eames. It's a dogfight. It's a fight it's, <laughs> it's, it's you are guaranteed to lose. Um, all right. Well, Eames, thank you so much for being on the program, man. This has been uh, educational.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All
0: right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glenn Co. production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E. A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E. A. Barrientos. Go to fascinatingnouns.com to learn more about this episode and to really become fully immersed in the story. You can do that with social media, including our Pinterest page and YouTube page, which will all have all kinds of incredible stuff pertaining to this episode www.fascinatingnouns.com is the website. Scroll to the bottom and you'll see links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, All that stuff at the bottom, and you can even sign up for a newsletter that will give you all the inside scoop on what's coming up, a little bit extra on our current guest, and if you like this show, you're going to love my newest podcast, which is called Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies, where I take a team of experts, including Dr. Michael Denon, who is the superhero scientist from a previous episode of Fascinating Nouns. Plus, a rocket scientist from SpaceX and a biologist. We are going to take pop culture technology and break down how we can make it in real life. Fascinating gadgets, gizmos, gear based technologies. Website www.fgbt. And if you like that show and you like what I do, go to danieljglenn.com for a link to all of my projects. Go check it out. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.